You're listening to Burnout Made Me Do It, a podcast for Monday haters looking for change, where I share tips on how to prevent and recover from burnout and interview amazing guests that come and share their stories. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Hollingdale. I'm an ex-burner turned psychotherapist and coach, and I help people feel happier and more fulfilled in their workplace. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hi, Charlie. How are you? Good morning, Kim. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing really well. I've got my tea, so I'm ready to go. Being the stereotypical Brit that I am, I can't do anything without tea. I have coffee, but it's my first cup, so we'll be done. pretty good going. By nine o'clock on a Monday, I'm normally like three or four deep. Well, and I'm in central time, so it's actually 11 a.m., so. So even more (laughs) impressive. It is. So Charlie, tell us a little bit about your background, please. Absolutely. So I went to SMSU for my undergrad, went for a degree in business concentrating in human resources, had the intention at that point of being in HR and graduated with my degree, got a position, worked in HR, got another position, worked in HR. I I worked my way up for a while. And then eventually I got a master's degree in it. I hold senior HR credentials. HR was always what I was going to be for my entire life. And then one day I just wasn't going to be in HR anymore. And that was really tough for me. It was very tricky to figure out. I I still at this point don't 100% know what I want to be when I grow up yet. I've started my own insurance agency and I help employers with health insurance, which was a really logical progression from being in HR to doing this. But part of the reason I wanted to chat with you today was just to talk about my background and how I fell out of HR and how confusing that was for me. I think whichever field we're in, when we hit that moment of realizing or being forced to make a transition, I think people underestimate like how confusing it is and how much it kind of interferes with our identity and and all the things that we've wrapped up in our work. I can't wait to hear about this. You know, of course, I wish you hadn't had to go through it. Always lovely to hear from someone who has been through it like I have and hear about their experience. So tell us about what was going on. Like, how did you reach this point and how did you know it was happening? You know, I actually, I didn't really understand what was happening to me at the time that it was happening. I had done some therapy. I had talked to a lot of friends in HR and I have a lot of close colleagues who work in HR still who have experienced burnout. I started doing research. I started digging into why this is happening. I guess I I should probably go back a little bit. One of the, the really early on experiences that I had is I was in a meeting of maybe 10 or 12 HR people and I kind of looked around the room and I just kind of no longer identified with them. And it's interesting that you say that we identify so much as our profession because we do. It's one of the first things that we ask someone about when we meet someone, what do you do? We very much tie our social and economic and our health benefits and all of those things to our employment. At least we do here in the United States. So when when you no longer identify with what you do as a position, it's really scary and it's really upsetting. And it's very, it leaves a lot of questions in your mind. So like I said, I started doing some research about halfway through doing my research. I I figured out that I had a book and then I went, oh, now I have to finish writing a book, (laughs) which is a a lovely thing to do when when you're feeling burnt out to write a book. Right. You've got all the extra energy you'd ever need. You're like ready to take on all these projects. Yeah. Yes, of course. I started putting this together and and the results of it was HR Burnout Reigniting the Flame, which is the book that I, I published about it and about 
my experience and about the research that I'd done and all of the conversations I'd had with other people and the surveys that I'd done and those things. So how long has the book been out now? I published it in early to mid 2020. The book had been completely written and edited and I just needed to figure out the publishing process. The first time going through that as as a brand new author is, is a bit overwhelming. So I had some help with that and it just so happened that it came out early pandemic even though it really doesn't in any way reference the pandemic. So and I think that's one thing that is absolutely mind-boggling. In 2019 we had a world health mental health health epidemic going on, Mm -hmm. according to the American Heart Association. And that was in 2019. So much has happened in the last two years since then. I mean, it's mind boggling. I think, I mean, the the timing of of your book, I I know that it doesn't reference the the pandemic, but we were, as you say, already kind of in this, I think, huge experience of burnout across the country. And then we head into this sort of global health pandemic, which I think just escalated everything and and for folks who hadn't been experiencing burnout before started to have those experiences for the first time and for folks that had already been experiencing it it was just magnified to a whole new degree so wonderful timing for any resources I think that that came out regarding this but your book is specifically targeting or, or focused on helping HR professionals is that right yes so like I said my background was in human resources and the the reason that I dug in into it was because I I don't think a lot of people had really, really put a lot of thought into why HR professionals are burning out at such high rate. I think that's increased anecdotally and say statistically as well. I I think there's numbers that back that up. But a a lot of it has to do with why certain professions are more likely to burn out. I think different professions tend to have different personality types that are drawn to them. And HR people tend to be very perfectionist, very, it tends to be a cause rather than a profession. People who go into it oftentimes go into it because they want to help people, which is very very common. I mean, when when you look at other industries in the past that have stereotypically burnt out, it's air traffic controllers, it's social workers, it's people who are intending to help people. Another thing that I found was that HR professionals tend to deal with some of the worst things that happen, similar to attorneys or police officers. When something goes horribly wrong, you call those people. So you're always contacting them to talk about your problems. You never reach out to them and say, hey, just wanted to let you know that there's there's no fires going on, there's no crimes breaking out today, so just wanted to let you know everything's perfect today. You never get those calls. You never here, you know, work is awesome today and and things are perfect. And I'm so happy with my job. People only contact you when there's a problem. So I think there are a lot of things that you can learn from it about which professions are likely to burn out. Another thing that was really critical that I wanted to capture in it is HR professionals are the ones who are kind of dedicated to eradicating burnout. So they have to be knowledgeable about burnout in order to achieve that. I can so relate to that wanting to help. So my background, well, (laughs) is a a convoluted series of things, but certainly a decade plus as a a therapist. And it's another huge field that is experiencing burnout. And I think, as you say, the more people are working because they are, are called to it or want to help, the more sort of skin we have in the game, the greater the risk for burnout because we are so invested and, and so inclined to 
always want to go that extra mile for people and, and stretch ourselves so thin. What for you personally, like what were the triggers do you think to you experiencing burnout? It sounds like, and the way you described it makes so much sense to me that in HR, you're always getting the, the problem called. You're always getting the, the bad days, people's worst moments. And so I could imagine that's a, a part of it, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit about like your experiences and what really kind of mounted up for you. Absolutely. And I, I will be honest with you, I'm still not 100% sure what all led to my burnout, but I think I have a better idea now than I did when it was happening, which I, I think is part of the, the challenge too. I mean, we don't want to admit it and we don't want to admit it. So we just dig in and we struggle more ourselves and we try to fix it ourselves. And, and again, I mean, a lot of HR people have this, this thought process and this expectation that they're just going to fix the problems themselves and they can't let on that they are burning out. But that's also a risk factor to not admit that there's when there's a problem. So part of this is, is eliminating the mental st- health stigma and just being open about having this, which is part of the reason why I tell people I had burnout. But my risk factors, I would say I worked in a number of environments where people were nasty, where people were rude. There was microaggressions. There there were macroaggressions. Even I remember having supervisors swear at me. I remember having people slam doors after meetings, things that theoretically can cause trauma in our individual lives. So of course, these things cause trauma in our work lives as well. So I, I think for me, my, my burnout stemmed from work environments, from challenging work environments where it felt like I was never making the kind of impact that I, I had dreamed that I would make when I was graduating from college. I mean, I, I left college having this idea that I was going to go out and I was going to change the world and I was going to be a manager. And then it took 10 years to to become a manager and to just get that title. And even then you don't have the ability to affect change the way that you would like to. I mean, organizations, ships turn slowly, so it doesn't all happen overnight. And that process is, as you say, of getting to a high enough position in the field so that we could potentially implement changes, that journey in itself can be so exhausting. Again, my convoluted uh, career path, I spent 10 years working in corporate marketing and NPR. And by the time time I got to, you know, the level where I could make good decisions or try and protect my sort of junior team from experiences that I'd had, I'd already spent eight years sort of frying myself. And so by the time we get there, I feel like we've got a certain level of, or I certainly had that level of like cynicism and it it doesn't really matter. And what's the difference anyway? And, you know, we all did it, we'll all survive. So I I feel like we've been sort of tainted by the time we get to those positions of power, so to speak. I hope you don't mind me expounding on that a little Mm, bit. Please. One of the things that I found out is burnout is much more common in younger people. So the older we get, the more we have PTO built up, we have, uh, we command a higher salary. So we have the ability to pay for going to therapy if we need it and taking time off for those things. We've grown within our organizations. We have capital within them and we can, we can make changes. We can go in and close the door in the CEO's office and say, Hey, I need to sit down with you and I need to talk about this thing because this isn't really working for me. Whereas the younger you are, the less you have access to those resources. So we expect that burnout is something that happens after you work for 30, 40, 50 years in an industry. And in reality, it's not that way. To your point too, once once you make it up to a certain level in your organization, you have, I would almost even say a duty 
to try to help people who are lower in the organization to not go through those things. So I, I really do think um, to some extent, this is, is something that millennials have really struggled with as the, the crux of being a millennial. It's funny, people still post things about how millennials are this and that and the other thing. Millennials are middle management today. They are no longer the kids that, that the posts are referring to. Right. They've already worked through those first few years on the ladder, so to speak. Yes. I you're so right that sort of capital that we have within our companies and the financial ability to look after ourselves is very limited in those early years and again at the career that I know well is both early years as a therapist but also early years in, in sort of the corporate marketing realm and those salaries don't really support taking time off or if you take that time off for your PTO, being able to really do something refreshing with it or being able yes. to implement the full self-care. And in fact, I know from my field that there's a, a been a, an increasing trend to have like a side hustle. Which, mm -hmm. And I think side hustle makes it sound like cool and sexy when actually what we mean is we can't afford to live uh, a half decent life without having more than one job. And I feel like in the junior levels, in the, the junior levels, we have not enough income to support the lifestyle that would help us better manage those stresses. And a lot of time unpacking myself is is that I think what is really challenging about burnout is it ties our financial resources, our access to mental health resources, our, our social networks, our, it ties our identity to who we are. And, and if we're no longer working, then that takes that away. And it bundles all of those things up with the thing that's causing us to be ill. Let's refer to it as an illness. And I, th I think that makes it so challenging to overcome it because in order to get healthy, you have to be away from that. But in order to be away from that, you lose your salary, your income, you lose your social support, you lose possibly your health insurance. There's a lot of things that are tied to it. And I think that's part of what makes burnout so challenging to overcome is your health and your unhealth are tied so closely together. It's almost a catch-22 in my mind. It's so interesting. It's not related so much to burnout, but I, again, in my past life, used to work a great deal with like food-based disorders. And the challenge with some of the, the food disorders is, of course, you need to eat. Of course, you need to, to handle that every day. And it's the source of all your uh, kind of challenges and, and stress. And so it's sort of, yeah, how do you live in a world where you have to do the thing that also is causing you the pain? Yes. Um, so it's, it's not like a, a different addiction where I can just stop gambling or I can stop smoking or I can stop doing drugs and then I can never do those things again. No, in, in order to, to stop having food problems, I still need to eat. I still need to work, but I need to find a healthier way to do that. And I, I really do think that that's, that's the crux of the problem is finding ways to develop our organizations and develop the way that we work in a way that doesn't create this problem for people. I think you're so right. When we talk about like burnout recovery, it's a lot harder to dig out of the hole than it would be if we just prevented getting into that hole in the first place. I work with organizations and individuals to try and set up situations in which we're not digging that hole quite so deeply or quite so rapidly, but also hear a great deal to your point that if we feel like the only answer is time away from work, like 
people feel stuck by that because as, as you point out, like that's not always an option or the amount of time, the amount of downtime or away time we might need once we are in that hole may not be, you know, accessible to us for a variety of reasons. And so I talk with a lot of folks about like, A, how to prevent it if they're not there, but B, if they are there, what can we do other than take time away from work to make that environment better for them, which is a less than ideal setup, but trying to be realistic. I know that not everyone can step away. Like, what do you recommend for folks who are like, I can't step away from this right now, or I have to find some other way of of managing it? Are there other approaches that you would take? Yeah, I, I think that's such a great question. And I think you're exactly right. I mean, in an ideal world, we prevent it from happening in the first place reactively, sometimes the only solution is to, to take yourself out of the situation. Unfortunately, when, when we talk about changing jobs and changing industries or changing careers in order to do this, a lot of times we find ourselves jumping out of the pot and into the fire and we go from a career that causes burnout to another career that causes burnout. I thought about this earlier as as you were talking about your background. I have a friend who worked in HR and experienced some amount of like, I'm not sure this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, perhaps not burnout, but something along those lines. And then started pursuing a degree in being a therapist, a mental health therapist. And I had the conversation with her one day. I mean, you're going from one career that causes burnout to another career that causes burnout. So just, just know that going into it. But I really think a lot of this does boil down to self-awareness and being cognizant enough of ourselves and aware enough of the situation that we're in personally to be able to at least say, you know, I'm I'm approaching the edge of burnout and there's something that I need to do about it at this point. There's a lot of information going around about self-care and I think self-care is really critical and really important. I don't think self-care is the, the solution to the problem necessarily, but there's also this really challenging you know, organizations are made up of individuals and individuals make up organizations problems. So do we start the problem with fixing the individual or do we start the problem with fixing the organization? It's really a what came first, the the chicken or the egg kind of problem. So I I think it's really important to be honest, be 100% truly authentically honest with yourself about what you're experiencing and to be able to be honest within your organization at a level that we probably haven't ever been in the past about this. We have to really be able to bring our, our true selves to work. And, and part of that is being able to say, you know, I can't take anything else on right now, or I can't be in a room anymore with Bob because Bob is going to make me experience burnout at some point in time if I have to keep dealing with Bob, <laughs> whatever those situations look like. So I, I really do think that being able to learn that about yourself and establish that and establish that connection with your peers within your organization is, is a critical for I think what you said about there being individuals and organizational levels at which we can affect change is so important because we do hear all the time the the sort of drumbeat of self-care, increase your self-care. And I think I hear a lot of pushback on that. And I understand that of like, great, like I can take all the spa days you want, but it's not going to change the fact that I'm sort of organizationally overworked, underpaid, all these these kind of systemic. But because the individual is significant, 
significantly easier to make changes at, at that level rather than the organizational. They get a lot of the target. But I loved what you said about a feeling of like safety to be able to communicate your individual limits, right? If we're asking individuals to take the ownership or take the brunt of like trying to make these changes, I think you're right that it's so important that we allow those same individuals to be able to voice those boundaries, to voice those limits and to voice those needs rather than a, a setup where the organization is saying, you figure it out and don't bother us with it. How as a HR professional, do people go about creating that sense of, of safety for employees? Yeah. And you know, I, I think part of the challenge with this too, is people have this impression that HR professionals have power within organizations. And I'm, I'm afraid I'm probably releasing like some kind of top secret HR information here, but HR people are often just as powerless within organizations as the next employee. I think people have this impression of HR people as like the, the principal, like I'm getting called to the principal's office or something like that. And in reality, I mean, HR people have bosses that they report to too, and they can't change everything. But I do think a lot of the challenges within organizations stem from HR policies. So it's really important for HR people to be aware of and on top of these things because they control compensation, they control PTO policies, they control access to mental health resources, EAPs and health insurance within the organization. So despite the fact that they may not be able to change it without going to someone above them, they do have the keys to this. So it's, it's really critical that HR professionals understand what's causing these problems. But I, I do think it is important for people to know too that they, they can't just snap their fingers and overnight make everything all better. One thing that I, I heard a, a while back and I can't even reference who I heard it from anymore was even the CEO has less opportunity to make changes than people realize. CEOs are, are at the whim of the regulatory environment and the environmental requirements around the organization. They're at the whims of the market and people's preferences and things like that. And CEOs have less power than we we think they do. So I, I think what's really critical to understand is in organizations, we are all kind of at the, the, the whim of the organization. We, we don't have the ability to do as much as we think we do. So it's, it's important to understand that, but it's also important to recognize where you do have power and to use that power where you can to, to help others in the organization. And of course, to help yourself too. You can't fill from an empty cup. So make sure you're taking care of yourself as well. I'm hearing this as both depressing and empowering. <laughs> It is. It's equal parts depressing and empowering. You're exactly right. And that's, that is the problem with it. Life is equal parts chance and skill. And it's tough because we're all at the mercy of chance, but we all have the ability to make the changes that we can to help ourselves. Oh, I like that. That's a <laughs> great way of putting it. Thank you. So I think hearing uh, about what you were describing for HR people not having perhaps the level of control that us non-HR people thought that they had, I think that was probably very healing for me um, or, or my 20-year-old self that was looking to HR and, and wondering why they weren't saving me from this. And, and so it's, I think, it's, I think useful for me and I'm sure for many other people to understand that there wasn't, you know, much that they could do or, or any power that they had in those situations. Yeah. And, and sometimes we just have to vote with our feet and we just have to leave those situations. 
Um, unfortunately, though, if, if no one stays in that situation and no one stays to fight the fight, then it never gets any better. So when we think about like women's rights movements, civil rights movements, Black Lives Matter movement, those things, it's it's all well and good that that we recognize that there's a problem, but if no one actually stays and does anything, then it, it never gets any better either. So it's it's really critical at some point to determine what what battles are worth fighting and, and where do you draw the line and just, you know, my 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 own mental health is at stake here and I have to just walk away from this situation. How for you personally did you ultimately start that recovery or what has helped you? Oh yes. And like I said, this is this is another tricky question too. I I think to some extent, I will always be someone who is a little more likely to be burnt out than the next person. After having gone through it once, I think I'm a little more susceptible to burnout than other people who have never experienced burnout, maybe. I also think, though, and, and you said earlier on that you, it's unfortunate that I went through the experience. It is unfortunate, but I also wouldn't be the person that I am today, and I wouldn't be as resilient and as self-aware as I am today if I'd never been through it. So I, I think I have developed the ability to see myself and read my challenges better than the average person does. And I'm I'm extremely self-aware, probably sometimes a little too self-aware and cognizant of the, the situation that I'm in. I obviously, I wrote a book as part of my healing process, which was intended to help other people and give other people the opportunity to see what led to my burnout and what led to other people's burnout and hopefully avoid that themselves. I've switched careers, which has been difficult in and of itself. I mean, you and you're aware of this too, when when you go from knowing something that you know, like the back of your hand to doing something brand new, there's there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of learning and differences that that you have to overcome in order to to make that transition. And I've significantly upped my my own self-care game. I'm very aware of what I need from a, I, I need physical movement. Mm. I need to make sure I drink plenty of water. I need to make sure that I get enough sleep. I need to have deep connections with people where I make a, a change, at least in, in a small way in the world. I need to feel that I matter. So I, I try to make sure that I do the things that I need to do regularly to, to take care of myself too. I think it's, it always sounds relatively simple, right? I talk to a lot of my clients about like the foundational bases of, of well-being and they're like sleep and hydration and like getting some decent food in you every once in a while. You know, these these very simple mm -hmm. things that I, I think we tend to overlook because we're like, you know, we're grown ass women. Like we, sh we have these <laughs> things covered. Like we should be looking at more sophisticated things. But really everyone that I've ever worked with has some kind of like mm -hmm. deficits, a strong word, but like some kind of like Achilles heel within those foundational bases. And that whilst they might not fix this, the whole problem by getting more sleep or eating better for themselves, like it, it makes a, a stronger base from which we can then move up to the more sophisticated parts of managing burnout. Yeah, not that this is always how this happens, but a lot of times you'll find when someone becomes extremely depressed, one of the first things that goes is regular hygiene. You stop showering as often as you do. You stop, if you're a woman, you stop putting on makeup, you stop doing your hair, and that leads to us feeling less good about ourselves. So it's a, a downward spiral. I read somewhere that if you're really upset 
upset or irritable, make sure you think about when was the last time I ate a good meal, got a good sleep, had a glass of water, took a shower. Like think about those basics and think about, do, do I need to do something there in one of those basic categories to kind of improve things? It goes back to what I said about chance and, and skill. And we are at the mercy of the environment that we're in, but you can still control certain things. You can control your thoughts and you can control what you're putting into your body and you can control how often you're moving yourself and how good of care you're taking of yourself. And those things do have powerful impact. All right. Quick flippant question. Weirdest or oddest thing you have done in response to burnout? I guess off the top of my head, and this is, is, I'll make it as quick as I possibly can, but it's packing a lot into a very short period of time. I was working at a job in Minnesota and was looking at moving. I did not have a position lined up at the time. And it was, it was just kind of a, you know, this is not my forever home and I need to, I need to go and I need to go and figure out what's going on with me. So I was in the process of moving to Oklahoma where I have family and I had taken on a consulting job in Seattle. And when I arrived down in Oklahoma, I was offered a position in Seattle. So I stayed in Oklahoma for about two weeks. And then I took all of my stuff and I relocated that from Oklahoma. So basically my stuff took an extended vacation to Oklahoma, <laughs> moved that all to Seattle. I was in Seattle for four or five months when the startup company ran out of money. And I ended up back in Sioux Falls in a less than one year time frame. So that I would say has probably been the weirdest and oddest thing that I've done in response to burnout. Obviously, there's a lot going on there. And there's different things outside of burnout that have to result in these things happening. But that was definitely a, a period of my life where sometimes I look back on it and go, did that really happen? You're in very good company. This is one of the, the questions that I like to ask. A, because I think we've all made some questionable choices when we are not at our, our finest. Uh, and B, because some of the answers are quite funny. I certainly have made terrible choices and, uh, you know, hilarious sort of anecdotes from things that I've done in an attempt to like manage burnout or even figure out what I was experiencing. Thank you for, for your honesty. If folks want to reach you or, or um, connect with you, is there a way that they can and how can they get your book? Absolutely. So my website is benefitswithheart.com. That would have contact information for me available on it. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn under Charlie Gamber, G-A-M-B-E-R, and Charlie is spelled without an E at the end of it. And then to get the book, it is available in either hard copy or you can electronic version at Amazon. Otherwise, if you reach out to me, I can also send out a an autograph copy if anyone is interested in that too. Oh, that's super cool. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for joining us this week on the Burnout Made Me Do It podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you want to know how much burnout is costing you, you can go to my website, www.burnoutmademedoit.com, where you'll find a free burnout calculator. Till next time, friends. Remember, Mondays aren't the enemy. Burnout is.